0: This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Good morning. How are you today? My co-host today is Rebecca Daly and I am Anna Thompson. We are Associates of New Memphis, a local leadership development nonprofit whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain talent right here in Memphis. And that means that we are focused on what we believe is our city's most important asset, our wonderful people. So, Rebecca, I'm so excited for this episode today. It is a learning opportunity for me personally, but it's also something
1: that I think is a tremendous asset for our city. It's an incredible conversation to be having. It is leadership and action. It is representation of the rich and beautiful diversity of our community and a great conversation about how that will continue to help make Memphis a more livable and lovable city.
0: So we wanted to introduce our guests today. We will be chatting about Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, which is celebrated the entire month of May. We've invited Dr. Sana Laybourne, and Assistant Professor of Sociology at the University of Memphis to join us. um, She is also an affiliate faculty member for the Center for Workplace Diversity and Inclusion and a former Academic Research Fellow at the Benjamin L. Hooks Institute for Social Change. She received her Ph.D. in Sociology from the University of Maryland in 2018. Her research examines racialization processes, racial and ethnic identity formation, and Asian America. Dr. Laybourne is the co-author of Diversity in Black Greek Letter Organizations, Breaking the Line, and her work has been published in Social Problems, Sociology of Race and Ethnicity, Ethnic and Racial Studies, and Asian and Pacific
1: American Law Journal, among others. If Sanaa was not busy enough, her next book project, Out of Place, The Lives of Korean Adoptee Immigrants, which examines the kinship, citizenship, and belonging through the case of Korean transnational transracial adoptees and citizenship rights advocacy, comes out next January. Outside of academia, Dr. Layburn serves on the Korean American Adoptee Adoptive Family Network's Advisory Committee. And you may recognize her voice. She is also the host of Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR, uh, which is a weekly radio show that is dedicated to hosting conversations featuring experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. You can also find those episodes on Apple and Spotify. She serves as a co-lead facilitator for the National Civil Rights Museum's Unpacking Racism for Action program and is also the organizer of Memphis's first month-long celebration honoring Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Joining
0: Dr. Layborn is Sarah Kai. Sarah is the co-owner and operator of Good Fortune Company, a restaurant in downtown Memphis that specializes in scratch-made noodles and dumplings. Sarah was raised in Memphis and also lived abroad in Guangzhou, China. Her passions include creating unique dining experiences and enjoying a pot of good tea. Sarah is a recent graduate of the New Memphis Embark Leadership Program, and she also co-hosted a few of the events in celebration of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month alongside Dr. Sana Laybourne. We are very excited to spotlight this wonderful, wonderful celebration all month long, and you still have a few weeks left to celebrate in it, and there are a number of events that you can learn more about. We will link all of that in the show notes later. I don't know about you, but I am ready to dive into this conversation. Perfect. So, without further ado, this is our conversation with Sarah Kai and Dr. Sanaa Laybourne. Welcome, Sanaa and Sarah, to the studio today. How
2: are you both this morning? Oh, I'm doing so good. I had my morning coffee.
0: Oh,
1: I'm I'm ready. ready. Rocking and ready to go. Let's grab coffee. I
3: I slept in late, so I just woke up a a little over an hour ago, so I'm doing great. Oh, well 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 rested. rested. (laughs) Thank you
0: for being the first stop this morning. Um, I wanted to kind of kick us off and see if each of you could share a little bit about yourselves and get the listening audience more familiar with each of your voices so that um, they know who's talking.
3: All right, so my name is Sarah Kai. Um, I grew up in Memphis. Um, and when I was 13, my dad moved the family over to Guangzhou, China. He used to work for FedEx at the time, so he opened a hub out there. Um, and at the beginning, I was really upset. I didn't want to go at all. But once I got there, I absolutely loved it. It was a, an incredible experience. Um, I had the opportunity to travel a lot around Asia. So I was there until I graduated high school and I came back to the U.S. for university, so I went to Florida State. I studied hospitality and business management. Um, worked in the industry for a little while. I had a, a good corporate job, and then I decided I wanted to do something else. <laughs> um, so I I have a partner, so we decided to open a business, and Memphis was the place we wanted to do it. So uh, almost two years ago, we came back, and we opened up Good Fortune on South Main. Yes,
2: yes. One, of, <laughs>
1: one of our favorites. Yeah. Yes, I'm like, yes, we're so happy that you came back. I know, okay. we really are. So Sarah, out of curiosity, why Memphis? What what drew you back? So uh, a lot of different reasons, but
3: I guess the main one would be that we we just saw a lot of opportunity here. We knew we wanted to do Asian cuisine and we wanted, you know, we were kind of nervous because it was our both of our first times owning a business. Um, Up until now, we had both just been managing restaurants for other people. Um, But we both have such an incredible passion for food and for people. And yeah, we, we wanted a place where we would be able to get into the market. And we didn't see anything like our concept that we wanted to do in Memphis. So we saw it as a great opportunity to come in, have something really unique and be able to show people some flavors maybe they haven't tried before and um, I also have family here so it's good to have you know that that connection and that support system here love that love that we're We're glad glad you're here Yes, I mean, it's so apparent
2: that you all's love for food and people. I mean, that really comes through. So just to hear you say it, you know, that's definitely what I feel when I go into Good Fortune and obviously what is so emblematic of you all's, you know, participation in Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month Memphis. So I just love that.
3: Yeah, thank you so much. It means
0: a lot. So, Sanaa, can you tell us a little bit about your background?
2: Sure. So, my name is Sanaa Layborn. I grew up here in Memphis. I'm born in Korea, um, but came to Memphis um, right before I started school because my parents were very, very adamant about having, like, a continuity of kind of, like, being in one place. Um, and so, went to K-12 through Memphis City Schools here, graduated from the University of Memphis, and, you know, started working a variety of different case management jobs, Um I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. I knew I wanted to be a professor. Um, but like I often say, graduate school didn't want me, even though I wanted it. It did oh, not God. want me. Oh, no. And it didn't <laughs> want me for several years. OK. Um, and so I had let that, you know, dream go for several years and then finally decided I'm going to apply one more time. I um, got accepted to, you know, my top two choices, ended up going to the University of Maryland And was there for six years and was lucky enough to get a job back home at the University of Memphis. And so now I've been back here for five years. Tell me a little
0: bit about what going to Maryland was like for you after being in Memphis for quite some time.
2: Yeah, you know, I, to be honest, I was, I wanted to escape Memphis. You know, I feel like wherever you are, whatever Whatever, your hometown is. you grow up, you want to get out. (laughs) You want to get out. And I wanted to get out for undergrad, but... Ended up at the University of Memphis, which was absolutely, you know, the best choice. Um, and then again, you know, finally, I guess, making that great escape <laughs> to to D.C., um, which was really, really important, I think, for my own development in being in another city and particularly in a city with a large Asian-American population. Um, you know, here in Memphis, our Asian-American population currently is only about 2%. So you're going from 2% to a city that has a vast range of different ethnicities, nationalities, races. And it felt really good to be in a city where I felt seen and could see myself reflected on a daily basis in the faces that I saw around me. And so when I moved back here, I knew that I had to be very intentional about either A, traveling back to dc where i do have a lot of friends (laughs) right and a a good community there but also be building that same community here as well
0: oh wow yeah
2: roll up your sleeves and do it yeah Um, i'm curious too for you sarah what
0: was that experience like i know 13 is much different than being in grad school but um for you when you went to china what was that experience like off the bat you said you fell in love with it there but at first was it overwhelming in a good way and in not a good way I don't know I'm just curious like 13's a hard age so
3: (laughs) yeah it was it was extremely overwhelming and I didn't want to go at all because I had my friends you know I had just started middle school Um, my older sibling had gone to their first year of high school um, Houston High and I wanted to be like them you know I like I wanted to have the American um educational experience that's portrayed in like films and yeah. stuff um and then i got over there it was a huge culture shock i had visited asia quite a few times but never lived there yeah. and you know you're suddenly immersed in a totally different language a totally different culture um, it was it was really hard for for the first maybe year or so um but then i started to make friends I started getting involved with school, doing sports. And then being at an international school is really awesome because I was able to connect with other Americans, people from other countries. Mm -hmm. And so I really started to open my eyes and widen my horizons. And then I realized what a great opportunity it was because I was able to, you know, travel to different countries like within school tournaments and that sort of thing. Um. So I very quickly got very distracted with all the exciting things. <laughs> you forgot that you were supposed it. to be an angsty <laughs> yes,
0: teen and exactly. be Mac because <laughs> it was so fun. I love that.
1: <laughs> well, I think um, I'm really interested in both of you mentioned building connection through community, through representation for folks with similar experiences with you or folks that shared um, backgrounds and experiences mm-hmm. with you. So, Sana, can you talk a little bit about in Memphis having with Memphis having a smaller asian American population, um what is what's the importance of that representation and celebration, and how does that community connect in ways now that it maybe hasn't been able to do in kind of the history of the city?
2: Mm-hmm. Great question. You know, first, to your first point, you know the importance of the representation and connection. We all want to be seen. We all want to feel like we belong. And so that's a very human need. And it's no different when we think about our Asian American community here in Memphis both being seen to one another and being seen throughout the broader city as well. And so I think it's really important for us to feel like, hey, this is our home and we are accepted within our own home. Right. And that's also a very common Asian-American experience in the United States where we often don't feel like we're quite at home. Right. Because people have a misunderstanding of Asian-American history or no understanding, a little understanding. And then also have this idea that Asian-Americans are not American. And that is an Asian-American feeling of not feeling as if you're quite at home, that you quite belong, even though we've been here for a very, very long time. Um, to your second point about what the community looks like now. And Sarah, I'd be interested to hear your perspective as well. I feel like, one, it's also a visibility issue. And so a good thing with social media is that people are able to connect with others, even just across town, in ways that you might not have been able to do, um, like when I was growing up, kind of in that early Internet era. you know. Yes, no, I'm I'm with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So now we can actually see each other in a way that if you didn't go to the same high school or weren't in the same community or going to the same church, right, you wouldn't have been able to do. So I think that's really the big difference. And also our community is growing just by sheer numbers. Right. So that's another difference as well. So we have a larger number
1: of folks that we can potentially connect with as well. I think that growing community is so exciting to to really tap into. And One thing i wanted to note is as we're talking through this conversation acknowledging that the asian american experience is not a monolith Mm -hmm. um there's so much diversity within um you know our community as a whole uh, but also through first and second generation communities and um, we'd love to have a better understanding of how that is something that can be celebrated and Mm -hmm. i know that the lens that we often think of um kind of the southern experience through the american experience through Um, is generational and that maybe looks a little different. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point, especially when you think about the Asian American community, because we have a lot of influx, right, of new immigrants. So it's constantly kind of revising what that Asian American experience looks like or what it feels like to be Asian in America. So even if we think here in Memphis, um, Chinese Americans have had an over 150 year history here in memphis and then in the delta more broadly and again we can think about historically the reasons for that so thinking about immigration um cheap exploitable sources of labor to be quite honest right and that's how we see um, chinese folks first making their way to the u.s both on the West Coast, but also in the South. Um, And then, you know, connecting it again to different things that are happening around the world. We see an influx of Vietnamese Americans um, immigrating here um, post the Vietnam War. So thinking about the 1970s um, and Memphis being very welcoming and accepting refugees who are making their home here. Um, And then we also have an influx of Koreans immigrating to the U.S. and Indian Americans um, immigrating to the U.S., but then also Memphis specifically um, throughout the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s. So we have some very distinct immigration pathways. Um, here in Memphis locally. And a lot of people don't know that history, right? And so yeah. then it's very easy to think about Memphis in the way that is Memphis is often portrayed through very black white relations. Um, But while that is, you know, of course, very much a part of our city's history, Asian Americans are also part of our city's history as well. So I'm
0: curious too. after speaking with both of you and knowing that you've both lived in a lot of different places and had a lot of varied experiences. Um, how do you, how does Memphis compare in terms of inclusivity, diversity, and frankly being welcoming? Mm-hmm.
3: So this is a multi, I have a, a couple, I have a two-part answer for this. Okay, I'm ready. Um, so when I moved back to Memphis, I think it was three or four years ago, um, I moved back from Florida and I was really excited to be here to discover the city as an adult. Because yes. when I left, like I said, I was 13. Um, and when I first got here, I was working in, in restaurants around the city. And I actually did not feel very welcomed. I experienced a lot of diversity fouls in the places that I was working in. Oh, okay. Like, can you yeah. say more yeah. about yeah, that? Can you explain, <laughs> can you explain <laughs> I'm like, ooh, I, I don't know. I need more context. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would come into work and people would just some certain people, not the majority of people, but it's, you know, it's those, it's those situations that you remember the most. Mm It's Um, like
0: a paper cut too. It can be the smallest thing, but man, it stings.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember that stuff and, and I do forgive, I do forgive, but, um, I started working at a restaurant that I will not name. Um, and one of the cooks, Gave me a nickname on my first day. He started calling me Five Spice. Mm, um, no, and he didn't ask. You know what my background was. None, there was no context. It was just mm-hmm. like, "Hey, I see you. I'm going to call you five. You know, Five Spice." Um, and so that's just one example. But I went through a couple different kitchens and experienced a few different similar things like that. And it, at first, it made me feel really upset. Um, yeah. And then I turned that into fuel <laughs> and it only motivated me to work even harder to get my business going because that has always been something that's, that's important to me. Um, kind of something that I really identified with what you said, Sana, is seeing yourself reflected in the community around you. Mm-hmm. And I felt for a really long time that within that community of Um, working in kitchens, working in restaurants, I didn't see myself reflected in a lot of these people. And so when I went through these really challenging experiences, I was like, gosh, this really sucks. Like, like, it takes a lot of effort to try and teach somebody and hope that they can learn a lesson of, you know, why they hurt you Mm -hmm. and maybe what they could do in the future. That takes a lot of effort.
1: Yeah. It's hard um, to put the onus on yourself to be the change maker in that situation.
3: Yeah, and that's something I really struggled with for a long time. I was like, I want I want change. It's like I want to change people, <laughs> yeah. but um I was like, do I really need to
1: put myself through this pain um
0: of being the one to educate somebody? Yeah,
1: else. exactly. Yeah. That, that's a burden that a lot of folks in our community don't experience on a day-to-day basis yeah. or ever yeah so i decided to
3: you know flip the script i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna create a business where there's no tolerance for that sort of thing and mm-hmm. it's a place where people can come um regardless of of how you're different yeah and you that's just not going to be accepted everyone everyone's going to be welcome we're going to treat each other with respect mm-hmm. um we're going to see each other and yeah. yeah so that was that was my initial um coming to memphis as dealing with some of those things but then it, it really turned into a positive thing because we opened our business and it was so beautiful how much support we got from the community mm-hmm like it was it was absolutely incredible, and I, to this day, I still like find myself like, "Am I dreaming, like, is this real? Um, because we really have had a lot of support from from the whole community, and it's been a really incredible experience. Um, and I feel like I have achieved what I set out to do. Mm-hmm. And also, good fortune is a really awesome place where I think even the the people that come in to eat know that we're a little bit different. And that we embrace diversity and so i feel like it's also become a place where people people will meet Mm -hmm. um, across cultures and we see a lot of diversity in the people that come into eat and that's really really incredible
0: gosh yeah that's
3: safe split like safe place Mm -hmm.
1: beautiful and encouraging how did you choose the name good fortune
3: (laughs) um we went through a lot of a lot of different names and then we couldn't decide so we just wrote down a list of all the words that we liked. <laughs> <laughs> I love like, that. <laughs> like things that we identified with, yeah. you know, it was like it was like lucky, buddha, like all this all this different stuff. Um and then we were just looking at the list and fortune and we were just like, yeah. Good fortune. And and it, it we really identified with it because um while a lot of it is hard work, mm-hmm. um we feel very fortunate as well. Like it's not yeah. just hard work, and and I heard somebody, uh, I heard a quote recently, and it was, the harder you work, the luckier you get, mm-hmm. and ah, I really love that. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's Ooh. when you find luck to be on your side. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you put in that hard work. Yeah, and and also in in Chinese culture, that character, uh, that's in our logo, fu, it means fortune, mm-hmm. and it's very auspicious in in Chinese culture. Yeah, you'll, you'll see that character all around on Chinese New Year to bring in the good luck. So I love that. Oh,
1: cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for building a good fortune and good future for our city through the work that you do. I'm just so encouraged. <laughs> and um, Sanaa, you are also building good fortunes. You have <laughs> arranged so much. Uh, we are again here celebrating Asian American and Pacific and Islander Heritage Month and would love to talk with you about how that came to be.
2: Yeah I mean Sarah as you were talking um, what you were saying really resonated with me and thinking about like oh increasing visibility but also what I heard and what you were saying increasing compassion and community and how do we overcome some of the bias that we may have or stereotypical ideas that we hold if we never are in community with one another, right? And so when I think about Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month Memphis, that was really the impetus of saying, okay, how do we create community? How do we get to know one another? Um, let's have some fun together. And then once we get to know each other better, we can also create, you know, a good future and good fortune together. Um, When I think about growing up here in Memphis, I don't remember ever having a full month long celebration of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I don't remember any special attention really given to this month. And, And, you know, throughout the years, there might be a short blurb here or there in the news, but nothing embracing the entire month and nothing embracing our entire community. And kind of like you, Sarah, I had some moments of rage, I think, and disappointment, um, which I think is a good motivator, yeah. especially when you mix it in with love, right? Love for our city, love for our community. And that's what happened where I was like last year, um, I had a lot of rage after seeing the backlash to Tommy Ka's um, artwork in the airport. Um a lot of love with the counter protest to that, right? Saying like, no, his artwork deserves to be in the airport, put it back up. And that was in March of last year. And then May came around and there was nothing as far as like, hey, it's Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. You know, these events are going on or even like this is how we celebrate or honor it, even nationwide. And so I was angry at that. I was angry at feeling invisible in my own home. Um, I was already in my Asian feelings because last year was also the anniversary of the Atlanta spa shootings, which targeted Asian owned operated spas. So I was just having all my Asian feelings. And I said, fine, I'll do it. I didn't want another May to come around and to see nothing. And I was like, this is for not just other Asian-Americans in our city, but for our city as a whole. When I think about the Memphis where, that I think this Memphis at its best, where we are all seen and valued and supported, we have to know who everyone is in order for everyone to be seen, valued and supported. And thinking about the future that I think we all want as Memphians, we have to know one another in order to create that future.
1: Got to be good neighbors.
0: Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love that both of you turned your kind of frustrations into fuel that way because it is very easy to to just throw your hands up and be like, man, this yeah. is hard mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. and, I, and I don't like this. And <laughs> instead, both of you were like in your own unique ways. We're like, OK, well, like if not, you know, then, like if not me, then who? Exactly, so yeah. so I'll do it. And um, I'm curious, Sanatu, what you found in uh, collaborating with um a big tourism and economic driver here in Memphis during the uh, month of May. Mm. A little thing we like to call Memphis (laughs) in May. And so I'm curious, we're all about collaboration and not competition here at New Memphis. And so I'm curious to see what your experience has been like in how AAPI Heritage Month um, intersects with celebrating Memphis in May and celebrating diversity
2: Mm -hmm. as kind of a core of our city's culture. Yeah. I love that collaboration. I'm all about collaborating. There is enough for all of us. There's more than enough. And that multiplies when we do work together. I was so excited to see that Memphis in May was honoring an Asian country, honoring Malaysia. And I thought... Uh, such auspicious time oh, to be yes. launching, you know, the first month long celebration of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month during the month of May, of course, but during the time when Memphis in May is honoring an Asian nation. And so I think it just brings more visibility. It was just, um, you know, some good fortune for that to align <laughs> in that way. Um, and it feels really good to be part of a movement in bringing more belonging, diversity and inclusion into our city. So you've had,
0: um, as we kind of get closer to the end of May, you've already had several events. Yes. So what has what has the impact been among all Memphians about this
2: big month-long celebration? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, Sarah, you know, last week we had a phenomenal happy hour at Good Fortune, mm-hmm. which was so great to see everyone come out and enjoy all types of delicious food. And maybe you can talk a little bit more about that, too, about how it made you feel to see everyone in your Sell restaurant. Sell out. Yeah. Yes. Sell out. Because yes. <laughs> that sold out on day one. That sold out on May 1st.
1: So just to give you an idea. I was an excited idea. and disappointed <laughs> that I didn't get to go. I was so happy that it was sold out, though. Yes.
2: I mean, I think that gives an idea of how much the city is looking for these type of events mm-hmm. and how much folks want to be seen and celebrate and connect with one another. Um So that was phenomenal. And then the partnership with the National Civil Rights Museum with their Unpacking Racism for Action program, which I think is just so key. Again, thinking about how do we build community members? How do we build engaged citizens and how do we get to know one another? And that program really facilitates that. And so I was so happy for them to come on board with the documentary screening of Nailed It. And we had a really great conversation afterwards. Um, And I think, you know, the key was in selecting that documentary. It answers a question that a lot of people have, which is, why are so many nail salons Asian owned? But people, you know, they don't want to ask that out loud. Right. It's the elephant in the room. Right. But (laughs) it tells that story. And it is a story about immigration. It's also a story about war. But. I think it's a great way for people to start to think about some of these topics in an easily accessible way, right? Getting your nails done. We all love to do that. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Sarah, what was your experience like um, at the sell- sold-out event at Good Fortune earlier this month?
3: Yeah, so I, I kind of want to rewind to last year when uh, Sanaa first approached me about celebrating AI- API Month. And to just say, like, the community is so lucky to have you as a champion of this month. Yes. Um, I feel like a lot of us were like, yeah, yeah, let's do something. But you were that person who said, this is what we're going to do. And this is how this is how it's going to (laughs) go. And I feel like every cause needs somebody like that. So thank you so much for being that person. Um, and I told her, I was like, I don't know about all that other stuff, but I do know how to make really good food and drinks so we can throw a party. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm here for that. I'm it here is. for the food
0: portion
2: of the event. Yeah, oh, But Sarah, you were immediately like, yes. You know, and I was like, OK, yeah, we're doing it. You know, because I had been talking about this for a whole year and people had varying levels of interest or not interest, which is fine. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were automatically like, yes.
3: And so that was, I mean, without you, where would we be? So
0: thank you. <laughs> oh, I love it.
3: <laughs> so we had a we had a great time. Um, and it was really special for us, for my partner, her and I, when we were planning the menu and kind of how we wanted the details of the event to go. We, a lot of times, will make menus depending on how we think they'll be perceived by people. So we, you know, there's what... I want to cook as, as a chef and like my personal preferences. And then there's what the people want, right? So sometimes we will change our dishes to make sure that they're, they're liked by a lot of people. And that's just kind of what we have to do as, as business owners who have a product. Um, but this was really special for us cause it, it gave us the, the opportunity to know that all the people that are coming to this event are here to celebrate, like AAPI heritage Mm -hmm. so it was really awesome to be able to just like you know call dishes their traditional names or make things how how we wanted to see them or how we would maybe more traditionally see them not that we're traditional at all but you know we're rooted (laughs) in tradition inspired by tradition and it was just a really fun time you know we we put out banana leaves everywhere um, we brought some controversial, controversial fruit out. We brought out a durian. Yes. Oh, um. <laughs> so it was, it was just really cool to, to do an event like that. Um, it felt really good. It felt right. Um, we got to showcase a lot of ingredients from all over, all over Asia, Southeast Asia. So, um, And people seemed to really like it. So we're excited to, to do something next year. We're already thinking yeah. about ideas. Oh, yeah, next year. Get ready. I love it.
0: So now it's was like, if you thought it was a lot at the beginning, like now. Just wait. This oh. has only added fuel to your fire.
1: But I think there's something so beautiful and organic about building community through food. Yes. Um, I think that that is one of the things that really resonated with me when I was looking at the lineup of events that you've put together. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why that was where your starting point was? (laughs) Uh, Because I'm hungry all the time. And (laughs) my
2: my life revolves around food. Wait a minute. When is the next time we're eating? Uh, That's what I need to know at all times. I always have a snack with me. But also, you know, in thinking about the month, I wanted to be very accessible to folks. So Again, thinking about here in Memphis, we've never had an Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month celebration. It might not even be on people's radar that this is a thing that happens in May nationwide. Right. And so I wanted it to be a lot of fun events where maybe you're not interested in Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, which is perfectly fine. Uh, But you do like good food. Right. You do like movies. You do like art. You do like having a good time. You do like drinks. You like supporting local. Right. Any of those things might be a motivator for you to come to one of these events. And then while you're there, now you start to get that awareness of like, oh, May is a heritage month. Oh, we have an Asian American population here, right? And so that really sets us up for next year where we're able to do, you know, some more teaching, kind of dive a little bit deeper. But I was very much thinking about what are just fun things that I enjoy that I think other people might like. So again, like the happy hour at Good Fortune. I knew we had to have some food, some fun. I knew I love good fortune and I just had to ask, right? Um, So that was one piece of that. Um, Again, I was very intentional. I knew I wanted to do something with the National Civil Rights Museum because, again, what I would love to see is having these conversations about Asian-American activism throughout history, about Black and Asian solidarity and coalitions throughout history, and bringing in our specific Memphis history as well. But that's a big ask on a first time of people even thinking about Asian-Americans as part of our community, right? Um, I absolutely had to have an art show because, again, I was very much motivated and inspired by Tommy Kaa. So I knew if there was nothing else that happened this month, there had to be an art show. And I knew it had to be Asian American in the South because, again, I wanted people to start thinking about Asian Americans maybe in a different way than they had before or to just celebrate the type of artists that we have here locally. So all of the artists that are part of the show are either from Memphis or have roots in Memphis. And I think that's really special. And I wanted to showcase that. And I also knew, hello, everything, everywhere, all at once, this award-winning, history-making film. We had to see it together. We had to see it, you know, here in the city. And what better place than Comeback Coffee? I mean, they're absolutely phenomenal. They do movie screenings and performances in their space all the time. And again, another one of my favorites. So it was, you know, so great that they were like, Absolutely. Yes. Right. Another automatic yes. And then the closing happy hour at Inkwell, Um, because, again, I love a good drink. I love a great cocktail. And where else in the city can you get such a great cocktail any day of the week? Very late as well. So I love it. And um, again, another automatic yes. So I just thought about, you know, how can we shed light not only on our Asian-American community, but also on local businesses?
0: Something that I feel like the buffet of events essentially has done (laughs) is like mix like you mentioned earlier sarah the tradition with the innovation of what does it modern day look like to be an asian american or pacific islander in the south but also why like Mm -hmm. what is like what brought me here why is why is my family you know two or three generations deep in the south why you know how are we rooted in tradition but also what are we doing moving forward what do we want that future to look like Mm -hmm. um and so I know just from reading up a little bit about you, Sarah, that you learned to cook, obviously, when you were in China and before, but also in China. And um, that you can hand make all of your stuff, your um, your buns, very, very easily. But you have to use the machine, I believe, to do it quicker at Good Fortune. Is that right?
3: Yeah. So we, um, we make our noodles on a noodle machine. OK. Um, it's actually a really nice noodle machine that we (laughs) shipped over from Japan. Um, So we do the ramen noodles on that. Um, We have in the past done them by hand actually for our very first pop-up. We used a hand crank Italian like oh. pasta sheeter <laughs> and broke it. <laughs> gonna say, and,
0: and you will forever have arthritis and carpal yeah. tunnel in that
3: hand. <laughs> it was the toughest 100 portions of noodles ever made, probably. Oh, my um, goodness. <laughs> yeah, we broke it midway through doing that for the pop up. And then we went out and bought the KitchenAid attachment for it. Um, so, yeah, that's where we started. Um, but the the dumplings... Because of the, the nature of them, and um, we do a lot of different shapes and different fillings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are all done by hand. Wow. Yeah. Okay. What so a labor of love. I know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about how you fell in love with um, food and pursuing it as a career rather than just being around it in the hospitality
2: industry?
3: Yeah. Um, so I ever since I was a kid, my mom would always get me to be her sous chef making dinner in the kitchen. <laughs> yes. Um, and so that's kind of where it started. And then what really made an impact for me was when my family would get together, we always make dumplings. That's just our tradition. And I think it's it's the same for, for a lot of Chinese and Asian families. Because it is such a labor of love, there's a lot of steps involved. Um, so we would all get together, all my cousins, my grandma, and each of us would assume a different role. You have the person that uh, sheets, rolls out the dough into the proper shape. Then you have everybody that fills it, and then you have usually my uncles or my dad would be the one to cook it. And so these these moments of my family being together and just being a like a supply chain of dumplings it really impacted me a lot, and it started to build my food philosophy around, you know, food being something that brings people together, and it's such a such an awesome thing to just experience together. Um, So that, that was kind of, um, that was kind of where it all began. And then from there, I just always loved food. I, um, when I was in high school, my older sibling went to college. My mom came back to the U.S. to start working again. So it was just my dad and I for a couple of years there. And so I learned how to cook. Um, I would just make, the stuff that I was craving and I was like, wow, this is so great. I can have whatever I want if I just make it. <laughs> yeah. Um, also being exposed to such accessible and expensive great food in China that's all handmade. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go to this noodle shop next to my apartment and it was one dollar for a massive bowl of handmade noodles. Yes. Um, so just seeing stuff like that all around me, I think, showed me that making food from scratch isn't, um, is, is the best way, really. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's not a lost art. Yeah, it, it's still, yeah, yeah.
3: And I was just always so fascinated watching people work with dough and taking like this, just this flour, mix it with water, and you create so many different things. Mm. Like, that's always been so cool to me. Um, and so when I went to university, I didn't know that I wanted to pursue food, actually. I thought I wanted to own a spa. In Bali, Ooh. that was my first dream.
0: That's <laughs> also uh, quite ambitious.
3: I was about to say, so we didn't set the bar low, regardless. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time. Yeah, still time. there is. Yeah. Um. And then I I got to school. I started working in restaurants to to help pay for school, and um, I found love with it. I was it was this like crazy, stressful, intense, fast environment that was usually really loud and really late. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just loved every bit of it. Um, and I was working in the kitchens at school for a little bit. And one of my mentors there was like, hey, this guy knows opening a restaurant. Do you want to go work there? And I was like, oh, I never thought that I would do something like that. But, yeah, let's try it out. So I got a job um, as a garmage cook, which is a very entry-level position for a kitchen because it's all cold stuff. Mm. So okay. there's no fire yet. You're just <laughs> you're putting together salad. You're putting together charcuterie boards, sometimes desserts, that sort of thing. Um, and it just felt right. I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, that's what I would do in my free time anyways. If I had the day off, I would just be cooking. So I was like, why Great. not get paid for it? Exactly. <laughs>
2: oh, I love that.
0: So, mm-hmm. Sina, um, similarly, your background is very extensive um, as well. So <laughs> you are not only a professor at the University of Memphis, but you're also a fellow WYXR yeah. podcaster. Mm-hmm. Um, if and- anyone
1: hasn't recognized her voice by <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, can you share with us a little bit about your journey and how that's impacted what you set out to do as your day job?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, when I was growing up, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Who really does? I mean, I mean, very few people, I feel like. But I didn't even have like, you know, how even when you're a little kid, some people are like firefighter, (laughs) unicorn, you know, just anything. (laughs) I was like, I don't know. I'm just here. (laughs) But I always had a love of reading. Reading was just a portal to any anywhere, you know, whether a real place, a fantasy place or, you know, whatever. Um, And so I always had a curiosity about the world around me. And I always had so many questions. Oh, my goodness. I know I wore my parents out. Um, (laughs) Questions about everything. Why is this happening? Why is this like this? Why, you know, all of these questions. And I think in Memphis, it really gives you the opportunity to ask a lot of different questions. Um, For example, so in middle school, I went to Craigmont for middle school for junior high. Um, And then for high school, I went to my neighborhood school. I went to Raleigh, Egypt. And so if you think about the time period when I was going to those schools, starkly different in terms of resources and student body, but just a couple miles apart. And so that was really one of my earliest questions, which was like, why? such a difference right just a couple miles apart why am i in high school with outdated textbooks why do we not have a cafeteria you know all these different questions which really gets to structural inequality but i didn't have that language right um so when i went to the university of memphis i'm just taking classes that interest me which end up being a lot of sociology classes a lot of classes about race racism inequality but also a lot of classes about identity and belonging Because these are questions that I'm thinking through, you know, in my own personal life, right? Trying to understand the world around me, but also my place in it. And that really set me up to continue to want to explore these questions, continue to, you know, have questions about what's happening. And then ultimately to get the PhD, to have the radio show. And everything I do now is very much about helping myself and others to understand the world we live in, but also to feel empowered to make positive change. I have
1: so loved following your story and seeing how you're paying your experiencing your knowledge forward. Mm-hmm. And I think you Thank have you. And, and also learning that you loved books as a reader, yeah. but now you're gonna be on the other side. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. So I have a book that's
2: coming out in January, um, Out of Place, The Lives of Korean Adoptee Immigrants. And so I've just birthed a lot of things over this past year. <laughs> been, yeah.
0: The year of
1: Sanaa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can you tell us just a little sneak peek at what, (laughs) what it might include? Absolutely. So as the title
2: alludes to Out of Place, the Lives of Korean Adoptee Immigrants. So I am talking to Korean adoptees about how they understand their belonging, but also situating Korean adoption within its historical, social and political context as well. So really the question at the heart of it is how do we end up adopting over 150,000 Korean children into U.S. families, but all of which do not have U.S. citizenship and can be deported? So how do folks go from adoptable orphans to deportable immigrants? And what does that tell us about how we think about race and family and belonging in the United States? Those
1: are some big questions. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think, you know, your commitment to building placemaking and space making mm-hmm. and just building community. Yeah. Um, th- it, I just am so inspired by the way that you have woven that into every element of your work and your personal life. Um, and want to just commend you for the ways that you're celebrating who you are thank you. and the community that you're a part of. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that with us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I didn't
3: even know that. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to, To read your book and learn more about it.
1: Thank you. That goes back to what we talked about earlier, that getting to know each other Mm -hmm. um, from kind of every angle and every standpoint, getting to be good neighbors. um, I think that's just going to help us continue to build a stronger community Mm -hmm. um, as we can better understand the backgrounds of our peers and our neighbors. Absolutely.
0: Sarah, you also have some exciting news. You just graduated from the New Memphis Embark Ooh! cohort.
3: <laughs> I sure did. Um, it was super fun. I'm really glad that I did it. Can you
0: tell us a little bit about how um, your experience has impacted you?
3: Yeah, so um, I love learning, and I have always really thrived in the kind of class style of learning Mm -hmm. um and i have been out of college for a few years and sometimes i feel like being a new business owner um so i have some days where i'm like okay um i know i need to do stuff so what exactly should i be working on (laughs) because i don't have a boss anymore right like it's just me um and then other days i have i have a huge list i'm like how do i know when to stop Mm. um so Anyways, just just like knowing that I'm coming from this place of um I wanna keep learning, I wanna keep pushing myself to grow and be a better leader so that I can support my team
2: mm-hmm.
3: in the way that they need to and, and trying to identify how how to hone those skills. Um so when my friend told me about the program, she was actually applying for it. Um and she was like, Will you be my reference? And I was like, Yeah, what's this program? Like, can I apply too? <laughs> Um, so I applied, I got in and it was also, not only was it extremely great for my personal development, um, but it was just really nice to be surrounded by people that are a similar age that are extremely driven and motivated, um, and that want to be positive change makers and community leaders. Um, I learned a lot of things about myself. Um, some things I already knew, some things I didn't want to admit to myself, (laughs) um, (laughs) But it, it really has, I would, every class I took, I walked out of there and I was like, wow, that was freaking awesome. <laughs> um, so it was just a really great program. And there were some really awesome uh, class instructors that were so enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a really great experience. I would highly recommend it to anyone. And I'm uh, gonna give myself a little time to, to let the information sink in, but I'll definitely be back. For one of the other, maybe the fellowship. Yeah, or, yeah,
0: yeah. The fellows uh, is next. Yeah, um, I
3: love it.
1: We are we are glad to be able to you know help facilitate that for young Memphians like you who are looking to grow themselves or even find their footing in the city. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it just goes back to the community building. I feel mm-hmm. like such a goober saying it over and over <laughs> again, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know, fostering that sense of community through knowledge building. Um, about ourselves and about the ways that we move through this special city of ours. Um, And we're just glad that you're a part of it.
3: Yeah, it was, it was really exciting. And I really enjoyed the sessions where we were talking to leaders in our community. Um, And something that really stuck with me is we had, we had a panel of community leaders. I think they were mostly nonprofits um, or in government. And one of the questions that was asked of them is, is, can you talk about, how you achieve work life balance. And so, there were some of them that were like unfortunately I can't speak on this. And it was really impactful for me because I was like, wow, like like seeing them on that human level yeah. of like yeah, everybody struggles with something. Yeah. Um so that was that was really cool for me to see not because they haven't achieved work-life balance like i'm sorry about that um but not it humanizes
0: even the most successful leaders in our community exactly yeah 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 for sure um so i would be remiss if i did not ask both of you um how our listeners can get involved or um make change and celebrate the aapi community better this month and all year long. Are there resources available for them to maybe check out more events, personal contact information (laughs) that you want (laughs) to field their calls at all hours of the day?
3: Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah. So I would say first thing, um, if you guys find yourself on Beale Street, walk down to the end near where um, right now there's a police building. It's near the new uh, Ghost River Brewery Brewery. um right across the street from there there's a historical marker that you can go look at and it it marks the uh original chop suey house which is one of the first restaurants and it actually was on beale street so it's a very historical spot and very accessible Mm -hmm. so next time you guys are on beale street just go check that out read the blurb there that was put up by the chinese historical society of the mid-south um so other than that you can follow good fortune at good fortune underscore co and also follow the chinese historical society on instagram and you'll see a lot of cultural events that they're doing
2: i love it come eat your yummy food at good fortune co mm-hmm. <laughs> i love it and i'm glad you mentioned the historical marker because that was really important in establishing our history here in memphis right to have that marker and hopefully people will go look at that and begin to delve into, um, you know, the Chinatown that was here in Memphis, right, right by Bill Street and under, start to understand that history. Um, for the rest of the month, definitely come out to our events. Uh, you can visit com. You can see the remaining events for the month. You can also sign up for the email list. Um, we're also on Facebook and Instagram, A-A-P-I-Heritage Month Memphis. And I would absolutely love to see you. And you can always reach out to me as well on the socials. I'm, where am I? Oh, I'm so many places. On Instagram, I'm Sana Marie Only. And I'm sure that will be in the show notes for you to easily contact me. And then you can always reach me by email as well. Um Sana.layborn at Memphis.edu. Thank you very, very much.
0: Um, We have a couple of minutes left. So I am so excited because it is my favorite part of every episode, the lightning round. Uh (laughs) So this is um, just the first answer that pops into your head. Um, So some are specific to each of you and then some are just general. So just feel free to shout out an answer. So how would you describe the people in Memphis in one or two words?
2: crazy <laughs> What about you, Sana? I was like stuck between like having that that grind and hustle and that mm. grizzliness. I mean, that's Memphis. Yes, I love it.
0: Um, Sarah, what is your favorite dish to make or eat? Dumplings. <laughs> that one's easy. Easy. Um, Sana, what has been your favorite event of AAPIO
2: Heritage Month here in Memphis thus far? Oh my goodness. Oh, that's it's like so... having to pick a favorite I child. I know. It's like, <laughs> oh, I cannot pick because all of them are my faves. All of them are my faves. Um, Sarah, what is
0: one sentence of advice that you would give to somebody hoping to open a restaurant
3: one day? Ooh.
0: <laughs> First thing that pops in
3: your head. Do a lot of research.
0: Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's actually very wise, too. So thank you for actually, I was about to say, wow, your stream of consciousness is much more wise than mine is. <laughs> um, Sana, where can our listeners find your podcast?
2: Oh, Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR, available in podcast format wherever you stream podcasts. Let's Grab Coffee. And of
1: course, always on wyxr.org. Love it. That was all of my questions. Did you have any more, Rebecca? I did want to ask, um, <laughs> uh, similar to the question for Sarah So, if someone wants to start an initiative or an event in Memphis, mm-hmm. what advice would you give them and where should they get started? Just do it. Just do it. Just do the work.
2: Just go for it. Don't wait for anyone to say yes. Don't wait for resources. Don't wait for anything that you think you need. If you have the idea, you have everything you need. Just do the work. Love it. I mean,
0: yeah, I can't finish any better than that. So, yeah. we Might as well just wrap this up. (laughs) Just (laughs) do it. (laughs) Thank you very much for joining us and taking time out of your very, very busy schedules, particularly in May, um, to join us and share some wonderful insights. Thank you so much. Thank you.
3: Thank you for having us.
1: Anna, I am so happy (laughs) leaving this conversation with a such energy around these events that are happening, but I am really invigorated by understanding the context and the need in our community a little bit better. Um, I think this is such a great representation of leadership and action and having such great partners come together to create not only a great first series of events, but to already be forward thinking for next year. I think this series of events is making such a splash in Memphis It's so meaningful. It's so energizing. And I can't wait for next year already. I don't know know about you.
0: I mean, it's so well done, so well put together and organized. Um, It feels like there's something for everybody. It's so accessible. And the celebration of representation that it is honoring is what is really at the core of Memphis and our diversity in this city, which is something really exciting. And
1: something something Memphis needed. Absolutely. So cheers to Sana and Sarah and all of the folks participating in forming these events and getting this, this whole month worth of celebrations put together. I know it's a ton of work, uh, and we are just so proud of, of what's happening here.
0: Absolutely. Um, so looking a little bit forward to not just May, but also this summer, in June and July, New Memphis is hosting our launch Summer Experience, which is a free series of events for college students and interns And we kick it off on June 8th. We will have our summer experience kickoff. You can learn more about that kickoff and all of the subsequent events that will be throughout there on Thursdays, all throughout the month of June and July for college students and interns. We are so thrilled to showcase Memphis to these upcoming young professionals and show them the opportunities that our city has to offer and also what makes Memphis so magnetic and unique so that they could potentially launch their careers right here in
1: Memphis. Absolutely. Launch Summer Experience is a great way to try Memphis on for size. And if you are mentoring a young professor a college student an intern if you are a parent of a college student or intern please get them involved with these free summer events they'll get to work on professional development as well as building a social network and a professional network here in memphis and get to see the city and the way that we all love it and see the great things about it uh, it's a great way to to really launch yourself here <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And these events would not be possible without um, our generous sponsors, some of whom include Nike, Varsity Spirit, Methodist Lebonner Healthcare, and more. Um, so you can learn more about those at newmemphis.org in the events section or newmemphislaunch.com. See you next week. This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.